is what I talk about in chapter three, where we talk about we're all immigrants. Mm. In chapter four, there's a melting pot, right? Because the melting pot is not about putting everything in and then figuring out the distinctives of each one and celebrating them, which is what happens in Revelation chapter seven. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation comes to God and offers the gifts that he has given to them in worship to him in spirit and in truth, right? But what a melting pot does is you actually take a lot of things and get one thing. And that one thing is a white person. Hmm. That one thing is all of us want to be rugged individualists who impose our wills on the world around us. Jack Bauer, John Wayne, Donald Trump. Like I wrote about how white people won't resist Donald Trump because he's the hero in all of our movies. Hmm. He says, I'm going to do this. He gets the woman he wants. He does whatever he wants. And then people praise him. And he's rich. Like all of us want to be that person. Like he is the archetype white American male. You can't critique what you want to become. Yeah. Right. And so there's the container in which whiteness operates and is perfected and being perfected is the United States of America, not South America, not Central America, the United States of America. There's so much to say, so little time to say it. You'll be leaving soon and I'll be staying. What's the point in always hesitating? Tell me, baby, what are we afraid of? That's so much to do, so little time to do it. Burning daylight, maybe we should use it. When we play it safe, we always losing. Patience is a virtue. Everybody, how you doing? It is the week of Thanksgiving here in the United States, and I know how many of you are not here in the United States and listening to this, but let me express my thanks to each and every single one of you, both for listening and for being here. Thanks for going on this journey with me. I really do appreciate it. Quick, brief announcement. I wanted to let you all know I have, by request, been asked many times, and I'm really lazy, and so I hadn't done it until a few weeks ago. I finally put some winterized things to keep our bodies warm throughout the fall and winter on the store for the show. And so there's a promo code. It'll save you 15%. That code is literally FU2020. There will be a link to that in the show notes, but there's a big banner at the top. I don't know how to make it automatically apply because I'm not smart that way, but I figured out how to make that happen. So if you enter code FU2020, you can get anything that you want from now until the end of the year at 15% off. And again, that ships all over the planet, which is insane. Patrons of the show get a little extra perk because you make the show go. Patrons are going to get a 20% off discount there. So, uh, and patrons, you have your own code. And if you don't have it, send me a message and I will make sure that you do. But patrons for right now have a 20% discount. Happy Christmas, happy fall, happy Thanksgiving. I'm excited that you're here. Today brought back Jonathan Walton. So he was on the Keeping the Faith episode a few weeks ago. And then he was on the first year of the show on the lies that we tell ourselves about America. And we came back on on election night. And so I want to give some caveat there. My phone, like your phone, and like his phone, were blowing up with alerts and updates on the night of the election. And so we spoke from like 10 till almost midnight on election night here in the United States. And so you will hear, especially in the beginning there, his phone just going off. And because I don't know why, we couldn't figure out how to make it mute. So that's in there. It's not your phone. It's in the recording. You can continue to look at your phone if you want. However, I don't know how to fix those without losing his words. And his words, I think, in this episode are very, his words in this episode are powerful. And I don't want to lose those. So we're just going to have to deal with those there. That's the world we live in. If we can do church and life 
via Zoom. We can handle a few iPhone alerts. I hope that you're challenged by this episode. I know I was as we discuss white American folk religion, patriot churches, so many different things that I think are going to be relative, not for necessarily President Trump and the politics of church that we find ourselves in, but for the years to come. It's not going away. It matters. And we really need to come to the table and discuss it. So here we go. My friend Jonathan Walton. Hopefully you couldn't see I got, you know, pajamas on the bottom, business up to where it is. It is it's always surreal to me still when people like hold the book and I'm talking with them. You know? Um, this one? Yeah, yeah. Is that it's because it, like, that's because they're actually holding a book and you're used to digital copies or like it's like, just like I'll never forget when I was, you know, seventeen years old, I published my first book of poetry and like it's a tangible thing in somebody's house, in mm-hmm. somebody's hand, and somebody you know, and it's it's cool. Yeah, it 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 never gets old. Yeah. To be like, oh, they've got they've got a piece of me that we could talk about, which I just appreciate. I have a I have a few books that I bring up when we have people over back whenever that would happen. And right. uh, I do it based on cover or title. Um, and so I have one, it just, it's this thick and it's the Robert Chernow's grant. Mm-hmm. Like just the biography on grant. Mm-hmm. Yours, because the dude looks like a Nazi, a little bit like a Nazi. All of its own purpose. Yeah. And then I throw out a Richard Rohr and I just throw him on the coffee table. I don't say anything all night. I just leave him there. <laughs> just leave him there. Um, unless it comes up, but yeah, just leave them there. It's, it's just fun. Right, right. It's just fun. It's great. It's but great. yeah, so people can go back to when we talked about the 12 lies that hold America captive. Um, if they want, or they could go back just a few months or a few weeks. To, I don't know when people are going to listen to this um, and hear talk about you know, keeping the faith, politics, and the election, um, which is more appropriate tonight. And then uh, they can, or they can listen to this. So they can go back and hear all of that. So before we were recording, you talked about the Boogaloo movement. I don't know yeah. what that is. What is that? What is that? I don't okay. even know how to spell so, that. It's it's all right. So <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I just got another notification. The my the You're team popular. that worked on the last book talks constantly. Uh-huh. Like we are texting all the time. And tonight is especially busy for obvious reasons. But so the Boogaloo movement is this latest iteration of the clan. And so the Boogaloo movement, um, the lead kidnapper for uh, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, was was linked to the Boogaloo movement. And so um, if you look at Rittenhouse, the guy that um, shot protesters in Minnesota. Yeah, Kenosha. Yeah. Kenosha, yeah. Yeah. I was, and so it's, it's one of those things where like the Boogaloo movement, similar to the march that happened in Charlottesville, they appropriate... Um, garb of the day right so at uva it was like polo shirts and tiki torches right Mm -hmm. white supremacy the acceptable uniform um white nationalism or white identity politics people they look suits and ties right that's what steven you know (laughs) i was about to say steven miller because i think he's like that but the the other guy that uh is is the the more famous you know new iteration of David Duke like the suits that show up mm-hmm. um the Boogaloo movement they have on Hawaiian shirts and AR15s so that's the Boogaloo movement 
Um, I'm ignorant of this. Like, it's, like, like literally I've intentionally for like seven months, I haven't watched the news. Like just haven't, like, I don't, I can't, I can't. It, it's all right. I, if I'm going to love my enemies, like Jesus says, I have to know them. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that what's helpful about understanding white supremacy as a black person, which is similar to what Daryl Davis, the guy that, um, ministers and like liberates people from the clan basically is that like you have to understand the ideology of your enemy better than they do hmm. you can call them out of the idol right and so daryl davis his documentary is called accidental courtesy and because what happened with him is he was a jazz pianist or like a um just like one of those like little richard like did it like i mean he can play the hell out of the piano and so he ended up playing this bar in the 70s and a bunch of clan members were there and he was the only black person and they were like why are you here you can play the hell out of piano but why are you here and so and he was just nice to them mm-hmm. right and ended up building a relationship and then all of a sudden like you know these clan members started giving him their robes and so he just talked about i think he has something like 60 or 70 like clan robes that people have said you know i'm not in the clan anymore because of you mm. You know, and so it's because there's a hierarchy. It's just like any group. There's a hierarchy, particularly for gangs. Clan is just a gang, right? But there's a hierarchy. And so one of the new clan members in Maryland didn't know what the ceremony was to become the next thing. So he called Daryl Davis and Daryl told him, he's, oh, yeah, like you do this and then you become you know, a cyclops or whatever next to the dragon or whatever it's called. And he goes, oh, OK, thanks. You know, like. You have to understand your enemy better mm. than and what they believe, so you're able to love them well. Like Jerry Falwell, like Jerry Falwell, is a, I would think is a terrible human being. But when I did the intellectual history of him and his whole family, and I see that like, oh, his father was an alcoholic who killed his uncle, and his father had a dog fighting ring, and his father had a moonshine ring, and his father. I drank himself to death. You're talking about regular Jerry um, Falwell, not Jerry Jr. Regular right? Jerry, it, regular Jerry Falwell. Yeah, then yeah, you yeah. get into Jerry Falwell Jr. It's a whole nother box of stuff because when you live with the child of that who had never a father who repented and actually engaged with the racism and the drunkenness and all that stuff, like you're going to do be the same way mm. or the opposite, but still abusive. Yeah. So. You know, anyway, I could talk about that a long time because yeah. I wrote 100 pages on it. But um, yeah. I think we to, to love our enemies, we have to listen to them, be willing to learn from them, to be able to love them. And I am deeply sympathetic and sad about the Falwell family because I just I've just studied them. Yeah, so similar to the Boogaloo movement, it's the yeah. same thing. Like the Falwell family are, is something something I could speak well about. Yeah, like because because I knew Jerry. Like I don't know Jerry Jr. and I know Jonathan. Like mm-hmm. I'm so shameful ashamed i'm not i'm not ashamed, ashamed. it does yeah, i'm ashamed for what i don't know i don't know how to i don't know how to put words to it disheartened is that the word i don't know put it this way i don't tell people i went to liberty anymore because people are like oh that and is I'm like, that is ashamed like like <laughs> like you know like to be ashamed that you went somewhere because yeah, of people are like oh so you're one of the either they're yeah you're one of my people or so you're one of them people yeah i don't yeah. and i don't want to be pigeonholed either way so hearing you say that i need to be more educated on on that um i'm i'm actually convicted like i don't know enough about like i'm intentionally 
checked out because I've just been exhausted uh, with with the season that we're in. Um, enough yeah. so that when people tell me like, um, and you posted something the other day, and then so does someone else I follow on Facebook about like Patriot churches, and like I yeah. literally was like, time out, and his name is Matthew. I was like, I don't know what that means, and he's like, dude, just for real, Google it. I really don't want to post it on my own page. I was like, all right, so I Google it. I was like. And then it was a long thing from the Guardian. I started reading a little bit of it, and I'm like, I don't feel like this. I just hit delete, like gone. Like I just don't want to read it. Like you know, like I just, I don't yeah, know. I'm just exhausted. I'd rather help people. I I don't know. I think that we should let people who make tents make tents. You know what I mean? And let people who like do the thing. Like this to me, like is cathartic. Because as I do the work, I, it humanizes the people, mm. right? Otherwise, like I would just be filled with anger and hatred all the time, mm. you know. So when like, you say the helped. people, you mean the people doing things that you're like, yeah. what? Yeah. So when Michael Brown was killed, I wrote about like this student won't be the next Darren Wilson, the officer that killed him, right? Like because like we, I sat down with a kid who like desperately wants to be a police officer. And we talked for hours and, and I said, you know, th- like, this is the work that God has called me to. Like he's a 19 year old student majoring in criminal justice, law enforcement. And one day could be, he's probably gonna be a state policeman in Virginia. Right. Mm. And like, maybe this conversation will help him resist what he's being trained to do. So that at that traffic stop or at that, you know, pick, pick the thing, you know, Jesus can break through in that moment where his training says do one thing and Jesus is inviting him to do something else. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, yeah, I, 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 I will gladly do yeah. that work. Well, you know? if he is a state trooper in Virginia, just text him my picture, tell him I'm good people. Cause I <laughs> sometimes speed on the way to work and there's no telling where he'll be, but <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, yeah. you know, I'm just trying to, trying to yeah. it's all about well, who you know. It's all about who you know. You know that that's how that works. Yeah. And I just, I would rather, um, anyway. So what is Patriot churches though? Like, cause I literally stopped reading. Like, what oh, is that? Cause oh. I know like the, the guardian article that I was reading was talking about, it was like an indicative of, of Trump and that type of stuff. And I was like, yeah, but it's gotta be like, cause yeah, I read that and I thought, Oh, cowboy church. And, and he's like, no, that's not what that is. No. So yeah. You know, um, I, yeah, I think what it is is like right before something. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this and you can deal with it later. But like right <laughs> before an exorcism, when you cast a demon out, there's this moment where the devil or the demon like makes him or him her itself known, right? Because a person who's like suffering under like demonic oppression, like the demon doesn't want to be named, doesn't want to be talked about. Like it's just like not a thing, right? But as soon as that person starts to like make turns towards Jesus, starts to have spiritual conversations, that's when stuff like hits the fan, mm. you know? And so like, I think in the American church right now, the Patriot church movement is an example of coming death before resurrection where like the devil, like things are getting so bad for the powers and principalities of idolatry that it's going to be blatant and patriot church is that patriot church is explicitly saying we are like for america and america is the best and that is how it will be whereas like before you just put up an american flag and you could have syncretism kind of happening in the background all the time 
Mm-hmm. Now it's explicit. And I think it's, it's because it's being challenged. And that's the exact same thing that, that happens during an exorcism. Like you are directly challenging the narratives. And so the person then has to choose between the demon or Jesus. Okay. And it's explicit in an exorcism. So if I'm listening and I'm like, okay, I don't know what Patriot churches are and, and someone listening Googles it. And matter of fact, I, I'll link it in the, I'll find yeah. that guardian article. I'll put it in the show notes and, and then it'll obviously I'll have it linked all up in the transcript whenever I'm back behind. I was on pace and now I'm back behind again. But how would someone know if they're in, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Cause I feel like if, yes. if, if, yeah. you know, if I'm going to the same church I've been going to for 40 years, like, Right. I, I, that's not me, Jonathan. Obviously, that's not my church. You know, so um, like what qualifies one as a patriot yeah, church? Yeah. Um, so in this article, there's an actual network of patriot churches that's being built. So you'll be able to go to a church that is part of an active patriot church network. Mm. That's the difference. The difference is now you can say we are a church that is America first. God, gun, like Mike Huckabee, like God, God, guns, grits, and something like it was four G's God, guns, grits, and gravy or something like that. Um, (laughs) And like, if you are at a church that pledges allegiance, like says the pledge of allegiance, if you were at a church that there was, I got a video of a church that like unfurled the American flag on um, the 4th of July in front of the altar and it covered the altar, and then they the, they sang God Bless America. Mm. If you were at a church where all of the sermons line up with Republican or conservative talking points, like if you were at a church where um, the way that we that the the immigrant, the stranger, the widow, and the orphan are talked about, right where you could literally pick up a book called um, Listen America by Jerry Falwell and trace the narrative of how we talk about the poor, how we talk about the immigrant, how we talk about race to this idea that Liberty University, which used to be Lynchburg College, changed how it oriented itself towards the United States government. And that's what you would want to look for is like, how is your church orienting itself towards the United States government? Is it only churches that are spouting conservative viewpoints, I have to assume you could be a Patriot church and also be democratic leaning as well. Cause if I, if so, I've learned anything from this podcast, it's that yes. you can easily get yes. harpooned by both yes. sides, depending on who I piss off from whatever the episode's yes. about. Yes, yes, yes. So, so in a, in a conservative Patriot church, it will be impl- explicit in a democratic leaning Patriot church. It will be implicit, hmm. right? So you won't see it you will just hear it and feel it. So at a conservative church, there'll be a membership. Like we are a Patriot church, proud to be it like MAGA hats, the whole deal, right? Strident opposition to Obama, to liberals, to the way that people are talked about. In left-leaning churches, I think what you get is, (laughs) how do I say this delicately? Uh, The title of the show is, Can I Say This at Church? So just just say it. What you get, okay, uh, Rich Viotis, pastor at the church, you know, I'm proud that he's our pastor, talks about um, you need grace and truth. And usually in left-leaning churches, you get grace with little truth. And in right-leaning churches, you get truth with little grace. 
What we actually need is move up and to the right and have both of those things mm-hmm. where everyone is welcome at the table because of the grace of God and by what he's Jesus did on the cross and accomplished by, you know, through the power of the spirit truthfully. Right. Um, and I think you, when you're at a church that, that quote unquote leans to the left, sometimes the truth of who Jesus says he is like really compromising parts that actually cause relational stress get pushed to the side. Mm. Whereas the things that cause systemic stress um, are called out all the time. Right. Mm. But in a right leaning church, the systemic stuff isn't engaged with at all. In fact, it's resisted critical race theory, stuff like that. Whereas like we can't have a hard conversation about atonement and sin and damnation when we should be able, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like on the left. So yeah. I, I think there's this mix of grace and truth that needs to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I want to bridge these two together because I want to get you to talk about white American folk religion, because I feel like last time I talked with you, um, both times I talked with you, like we haven't ripped that apart enough because yeah, I'll yeah, see no you problem. use it. I'll see you reference it. And then I'll have people ask me what it is. And I try to explain it. And I'm like, just go buy the book, which is a valid answer. A valid answer and something yeah, you should yeah. do because you got bills. You know, everybody's got bills. Um, right. However, like, what is that? And then how does that connect into a patriot church? And then do you yep. feel like white American folk religion is actually declining? Or is it one of those things where you're like, oh, oh it's getting worse? Like, but, but, I, but start with what it yeah. is because people yeah, will yeah. hear that. And, and, in, and then in some context, like, I think I'm going to release this episode in the same month that I'm about to release an episode called Good White Racist, which is going to be fun. Just the yeah. title alone. Um, a, it looks like a good book. It's on the list. Oh, the title alone. Um, just I'll give that a quick overview. It's basically that a lot of racism is perpetuated by white voices and white circles from an influence of power. And so for real change to happen, like I have to say something in the circles that I'm in. Yes. I have to say something and it's going to be painful, but mm-hmm. I have to be a good white racist. I'm going to have to own that I'm almost always racist and I have to realize it and I need to really pivot and use that knowledge mm-hmm. to do something hopefully better. But anyway, that's the, that's the bird's eye view of the book, not the conversation, but the book. But white mm-hmm. American folk religion, like how, why, what, yeah. is it going anywhere? How, you know, how is it all related, especially to, yeah. you know, where we're at tonight, you know, November 3rd? Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to couch this in the fall wells because that is, that's my study. That's my like area of diving in, right? Hey, they're an hour south. So for, for, for the right. home base, we're right there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, and it comes from a place of empathy, not a place of condemnation. Mm. Um, and so white American folk religion, um, First off, white, okay? So the reason that it is white is because of the racial assignment that is dedicated and reigning in the post-colonial world, okay? Um, so when people say civil religion, I think it's, it's not complete enough. Sorry, it's not, it's not complete enough when you say civil religion because civil religion is not what's at work in the United States. If it was, we would have more than 2% of the people in the military. If it was, we would have like acquired civil service. Like if it was like there would be some, there'd be other things happening, right? But what we have right now is, is something that focuses on whiteness and whiteness captures race, gender, and class in one term. Because when we talk about whiteness, sorry, when we talk about whiteness, 
<laughs> we are talking about skin color, but we're also talking about class. We're, we're not talking about poor white people, right? No one is pursuing an impoverished whiteness. People are pursuing a wealthy, well-connected, well-educated whiteness in the right neighborhood type of whiteness because we associate where people live with whiteness, mm. right? And so whiteness is the first part because it dominates the way we see one another. And then American, America, <laughs> America <laughs> is the container where white somebody must have won a state. Somebody. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, America is the container in which whiteness has been perfected and is being perfected at all times. Mm. Right. And so Europe used to have that. But if you look at what's happened as America became the empire post World War II, um, and especially during, even before that, with the Industrial Revolution, Polish people, Irish people, pick the people who were not quote unquote Anglo, had to become white, right? Against people who were darker skinned or didn't speak English or had, hadn't had their names changed yet, right? And so there's a book called Becoming White, and it breaks down each ethnic group coming from Europe and when they achieved quote unquote whiteness, right? And so an example of that would be Columbus Day. To assimilate Italian Americans into quote unquote American culture, white culture, they created Columbus Day. So they like, you know, you're you're part of what we do. Right. So now you have all these Italian uh, Italian uh, cultural groups all over the country, all these Columbus circles, Columbus Avenues, like these Columbus statues, like that was a tool to get a group of people that was not part of the folks who resisted England to dismiss their history, flatten out their ethnic identity, to get on the treadmill to achieve whiteness. Which is what I talk about in chapter three, where we talk about we're all immigrants. Mm. In chapter four, there's a melting pot, right? Because the melting pot is not about putting everything in and then figuring out the distinctives of each one and celebrating them, which is what happens in Revelation chapter seven. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation comes to God and offers the gifts that he has given to them in worship to him in spirit and in truth, right? But what a melting pot does is you actually take a lot of things and get one thing. And that one thing is a white person. Mm. That one thing is all of us want to be rugged individualists who impose our wills on the world around us. Jack Bauer, John Wayne, Donald Trump. Like I wrote about how white people won't resist Donald Trump because he's the hero in all of our movies. Mm. He says, I'm going to do this. He gets the woman he wants. He does whatever he wants. And then people praise him. I and mean, he's rich. Like all of us want to be that person. Like he is the archetype white American male. You can't critique what you want to become. Yeah. Right. And so there's the container in which whiteness operates and is perfected and being perfected is the United States of America, not South America, not Central America, the United States of America this post-colonial Turtle Island, as Randy Woodley, Richard Twist, and Mark Charles would say. And so folk religion or folk is, is because like it is, it is a twisting, a bastardization of a genuine, I would say, Christology, right? Where instead of Jesus being as he says he is, right? The way, the truth, the life, the ransom for our sin, like, you know, Luke 4, reflection of Isaiah 61, like that first sermon, he gets painted as white 
gets painted as American. So he's, he doesn't get to be lord over America or ethnic identity and race. He is subject to them. Mm-hmm. So he becomes the thin-lipped, light-skinned, straight-haired, lamb-holding savior that Richard Fox talks about in American Jesus, right? And then religion is like there's actually a set of practices and disciplines that you can do to prove your faithfulness unto the deity of white American folk religion, which is white Jesus, which is who you should please at all times, which is really just dominant white culture repackaged over and over again to please that group, right? And so white American folk religion, I would say, is the outworkings of a colonized faith where every church in the United States um, that is evangelical is singing songs, I think 90% written by like 12 people. Bethel, Hillsong, Chris Tomlin, Capital Music. That is not Revelation 7 at all by any stretch of the imagination. And if even if you take away the quote unquote white people out of leadership, most people don't even know any other songs. They don't know any other word. Like, and even the way that we do theology, the way we think about theology, like it comes from a dominant lens, right? So after whiteness by Willie Jennings, he talks about how all of us um, have the goals of becoming masters. And we've set up a society where everybody wants to become a master. How much can you, how much can you accumulate? How much can you control? Mm. And colonizers literally came to steal, kill, and destroy, which is the same as the devil. Right? Yeah. That's why they came. Yeah. There was no discovery. There was no like, we're going to do this thing. Like, it was literally to take what they wanted. And that is the devil. And so I think we have to be aware of when we are pursuing whiteness reflecting and desiring an American identity and practicing a set of, or believing and practicing a set of discipline in a set of disciplines that will actually drive us towards quote unquote maturity, right? A mature, fully expressed human being looks like this. And most of it looks like a prototypical white man, mm-hmm. someone who's independent, someone who knows everything, someone who is physically capable, someone who's mentally sharp, doesn't need anyone, doesn't depend on anybody, is emotionless, blah, 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 right? Looks nothing like Jesus. Mm. Nothing like Jesus. Yeah. You had me. I was nodding my head until you said emotionless and then I got convicted. Yeah. That's because that's, that's, because that's my upbringing. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And that's, 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 that was me. That was yeah, me, and, freshman entering into Liberty. Like that was me. Like here, here I am. You know. And um, and even, even and even if it wasn't you, right? It's for someone who might be listening. Like it wasn't you. It it's that's what we're that's what we're called to do by culture all the time, right? And so for me, like I was stunted emotionally to function, right? But it's like me and you and most people get rewarded when we do these things right so if you're emotionless like people see you as like stoic oh he's so steady and like dependable blah 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 right Mm -hmm. Um, he's not out of control like and so all that again like just go back and think about a plantation like what do you want to do you want to keep your control you want things to be calm you want folks to just do your job and move on you if you do the right stuff things will work out for you you just keep going right and I think 
what's scary and me and priscilla talk about this is like the attributes about us that we hope that jesus transforms are often things that we get rewarded for by dominant culture Well, I will also say it's exhausting. So like I am still that way. Like I don't know how to not be that when I get paid. Um, and part of that is, is as the manager there, like I've got to keep a level head. Like everyone else can freak out, but someone has to be like, hey, it's going to be all right. But right, like right. when I get home, like I'm not that way. Like I'm mm-hmm. anxious. I'm often angry. Um, I still lack empathy. And all three of those are like dangerous together because like that emotion's always there. Like it's not, it didn't go anywhere. Like I'm a, right. like I'm a human, but it comes out in an unhealthy way. Um, mm-hmm. And luckily I have a wife that's able to tell me like, you need to know, mm, tight, no, <laughs> you know, in a way like, Hey, I don't know what's wrong with you. You need to get it. Like, I understand you had right. a rough day, but that doesn't have anything to do with him or her. Like, mm-hmm tighten it up you know but it's not healthy and it's not healthy for our churches either like it's just not healthy to mm. to take all that and repress it and then take it out in other ways so um. yeah and and it is uh what's crazy is like you know I, another i think indicative thing of a patriot church would be and we you know to circle back around there is like how do you depict jesus right like i remember those lord's gym t-shirts in high school where like <laughs> Jesus is ripped and like, he did not look like that, <laughs> you know, but like this triumphant, like beast of a man, right? Like really kids? Isaiah 53 is not that description of the son of man. You know what I mean? Like it says he wasn't a wonder to look at, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's like, um, I just, I, I'm just like, who, who is I trained to become? And like that, that is something that I'm, I mean, I'm dealing with right now. It's like, I can't work out in the midst of COVID. I hang out with kids all the time. Like I feel unhealthy. Like my body hurts and I'm like, oh, like, but I'm supposed to, be. I'm like, wait, I'm not going to be a professional athlete ever. Why am I, well, why do I want to be that way? And it's like, oh, right. Like my entire value for 400 years was based on what I could do physically. Mm. And the fantasies that were passed down to me about what I could do in the bedroom and the things that were given to me, like I'm supposed to make as much money as possible if I don't have those things. And I'm a missionary within a varsity. Like what am I doing? Like I could, I could spiral down really fast Yeah. if I don't like, you know, press into who Jesus is. I want to play the devil's advocate because when I tell people, so a lot of what you're calling white American folk religion, I would try to explain in other ways just because I can't adequately explain white American folk religion. And when I say it, I'm coming from a position of, I'm talking about me and my people. Mm -hmm. Like, and I will get in arguments with people and they'd be like, I just don't believe that. Like, I don't think that's true. Like, that's not how I do things. Maybe that's how other people do. Like, that's, I just don't think that that's true. And I don't mm-hmm. see my church doing that. And I don't da 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 insert um, excuses here. Like, what right. do you say to that? Because I just end up going, well, I guess you got it all figured out, which is right. not really a way to end an argument. Um, 
you know what I mean? Like, how do right. you, and then also to go further than that, that if that happens, if, 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 a, if Christianity can kind of remove itself from that type of melting pot type of, of one thing comes out at the end, which is not what the kingdom of God looks like at all. Um, if you don't believe me, you can read all the different church letters that Paul wrote to all the people, and they seem to all be dealing with entirely different things and started for different reasons. Some of them Paul didn't even start, you know, like right. just he's just writing to these people like, hey, I know you started a church and you got some issues. I got something to say. How do you hold it all together? Because I don't think people know how to do things when everyone doesn't fit into the mold. Yeah, I, I think you stop trying to hold it all together. Because Colossians 117 literally says he holds it all together. Right. I, I don't I don't think it's possible to do like I my th- one of my therapists, because I see a lot of people was like, um, Jonathan, like you can't fo- like focus on intimacy in your marriage and focus on parenting and focus on writing a book and writing another book and discerning your job and responding to culture and dealing with social media. Like, John, you can't hold all those things together. Like you, you, you physically, emotionally cannot do it. And that's where I think prayer and intercession and meaningful mentorship and discipleship comes in, right? It's like, I have to be able to lean into God and ask him to fill all my limits because I can't address all of them. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think I may, I may have heard your question wrong and be going down a road we're not supposed to go down. But like, I, I think the idea that like, we can do all the things, figure out all the stuff and hold everything together. Even with what I wrote about with white American folk religion is incomplete. Like I'm just trying to like wrap my mind around what's happening to me. Right. And I think what the reason that we get pushback when you call out the devil, when you call out the idol is because like, it is so all encompassing that if you admit one thing, you're actually admitting all of them. And that's terrifying. Mm. Right. So I think, and I think this is true of Jerry Falwell. Jerry Falwell had a conversation with Jesse Jackson in 1983 on uh, Nightline with Ted Koppel. So in some video, you can like watch it, where Jerry Falwell is defending apartheid in South Africa, challenging Jesse Jackson, you know, calling him a Marxist, saying, you know, we're going to undo capitalism and we need to spread freedom and all these things. Right. And Jesse Jackson, like, says, like, do you not tie this to like the Jim Crow South? Like, do you not know that? And Jerry Falwell says very quickly, God delivered me from racism. I don't have to deal with that. Like literally in a sentence, right? And then moves on. And I think it's because if Jerry Falwell had had to admit that he was racist and had to admit that the church he was in was broken and had to admit like all the things that he did Right. Particularly when he took one of the there's a there's a couple families of black folks that lived on the land his father had in his biographies. He talks about this where he was in a car and he took a black friend joyriding with the convertible that his parents brought him when he was in high school. He flips the car with the black person inside and they both go to the hospital. They leave his friend outside in the hallway for three days and they fix him. That happened to him twice Mm. with black friends in the hospitals in Lynchburg, right? 
I don't think he could deal with himself with the theology that he has, knowing that he abandoned black people in his life multiple times. His caretaker from the time he was a baby was a black person who got attacked when he was older and they had to go and find him because he could not get hospital treatment, right? And, and so I, I think if we were to admit that, it's ra- that what we are doing is racist or admit that it's prejudice or admit that it's judgmental towards people who are poor, all of these people would come flooding back to convict us. And our theology doesn't know how to deal with that. Mm. It can't handle like what I did in elementary school and what I did in middle school and what I did in high school with. Like I said, I wouldn't date somebody that act- like I remember the conversations I had in middle school when someone was like, yeah, I just think everybody should stay with their own kind. Right. Like I remember that. I remember exactly who did it. I remember where it was. And I'm sure she probably remembers, too, now that she's a teacher in that school. Mm. Right. Like, but if if those things came to the surface, like I don't think we have a theology that could deal with that because we don't believe that God is a forgiving God. Mm. We believe that God is like a master. We yeah. believe that God is ready and willing to beat us for doing the wrong things. Yeah. Um. And so I think we have to give up trying to hold it all together and really like Colossians one fifteen and seventeen, like allow Jesus to to do it because He's the only one that that can. Yeah. Yeah, I want to speak real quickly to what you just said. So what you just said about the character of God wanting to beat us when we screw up is lie number one that holds the church captive. That's your next book, Jonathan, like the 12 lies. <laughs> like, cause, so, so you're talking about like the people. Like, So I found this. I'm not going to get in close because I don't want you to read it. Um, my son wanted an adult Bible. He's 11, and he's been reading the Bible that like the Gideons give out, actually, because he wanted a Bible that wasn't like the kid's Bible that he got in first grade. And I, I get that. And I'm also not going to discourage him from reading the Bible. Like, I'll go in there. It's like 845. I'm like, what are you doing awake? I was reading the Bible. And like, really, what are you going to say? Like, I need you to go to bed. <laughs> 10 more minutes and then go to bed. You know, like, what are you going to say? What are you gonna, come on, man. He Jesus juked me. But so yeah. this is literally titled My Worldview. And I wrote it when I was 16 because I got it dated here. And I read this the other day because I had it tucked in that Bible. Like, it's the old Bible I had in high school. And there's pictures of my sister and family and uh, a tithe offering envelope that I'm obviously I never used. And you know what I mean? Like all of these things mm-hmm. in that Bible that I'm right. pulling out, like, oh, this doesn't need to be here. And I sent some pictures to some friends of mine from high school, like, oh, look at this thing. Remember this weekend in youth group or whatever, like just you know, reminiscing. And then I read this and like, I was so heartbroken, but also helpful. Like, cause I read this and I'm like, oh, that doesn't even sound like the God that I worship. Like as I read what I thought my worldview was as it relates to being a Christian, I got to the end and I was like, no. But then I was thankful at how far like my view of God has shifted. Um, mm. But then also sad that the bulk of my life, this was accurate. You know what I mean? Like in the grand no, scheme I, of things. I do, I um, do. Um, yeah, so I think you're right, though, because had I read, had I been where I was six or seven years ago, and then I found this and I read it, like, I would have been shattered because I don't, like, I'm in a healthy place now with God and faith and religion, and I could deal with it. But I, I think you're right. I don't. So what happens to the institution of the church when that happens? Because eventually, I don't know what year, eventually something will happen and the church is going to have to reckon with um, it's overt racism. It's addiction to power. Like when that happens, decades, a century, uh, you and I will be dead. It doesn't matter. Eventually it will reckon. 
the, the church will either die and it will be forced to reckon with it, or maybe they'll pivot and they'll hear a prophetic voice. Who knows who that voice will be? And it will, it will correct its course. Like what happens to the institution of the C church and the large capital? Yeah. Like I don't, Oh man, I just, okay. I, people who know much more about indigenous theology than me and, and new Testament stuff than me, I think would say something different, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to put my hand in the water. Um, and like, I, I, I just don't know if Jesus Father, Son, Spirit, however that works out, is interested in our institutions mm. being around or okay. So I hear your question. I think I know what you mean. I just, I just don't know if that's the right, like I, like my church in the South, like there'd be articles about black churches in the South that are all <laughs> shutting down because they've got really, really old people and grandchildren and no one in the middle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a lot and of like, them are tiny like population like 60 yeah. to begin with absolutely yeah right the church, i do, I do I bank accounts with... for a lot of them yeah absolutely yeah you know and it's just like my bro my brother my older brother asked me he goes well jonathan like what's going to happen to these churches and i said i said they're going to die and i said i don't know if i'm upset about that hmm. because i i think we need a radical reorientation around what it means to follow Jesus in the United States of America in empire. Like if a church dies, like, you know, 1200 pastors are leaving every month or whatever the statistic is. Is that a real number? It's a lot of people. Like it's, 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 it before COVID, it was like a thousand pastors a month or something like that. Really? Um, yeah. And you can fact check that, like your folks can look it up. But it was a staggering amount of people. And I was just like, what? Like, what is happening? And I think the way we think about church as an institution, one, I think we, the capital C church that the gates of hell should not prevail against will be fine. I think there are already churches in America that have said no and are going forward. And revival is happening and like all of those things. Um, I think what is going to happen to the quote unquote white evangelical church, which as an institution, I think is a white American folk religion propagating institution. There are people who are faithful to Jesus in that place. Right. But as an institution, like, like when Al Mohler writes that he writes that he cannot understand how anyone would vote democratic and he knows black people have voted democratic for you know since (laughs) the democrats decided to not support segregation in the 1960s right Mm -hmm. um he says but for a christian to vote for the democratic party is beyond his moral imagination is what he wrote Mm. this week so what you're saying is another article i didn't read no worries. It's all right. Like I said, this is the water, waters I swim in. Like it's what he is saying is that it's beyond his, his moral imagination for a black person to vote democratic. Hmm. They're literally right after each other. You know, there's no paragraph break. It's like, you know, 
John MacArthur spouting QAnon stuff, like whatever the whatever the box is. Like in Revelation eighteen, there will be people who weep over Babylon, and I, and it is as an evangelist, somebody who desperately desires for people to come to know Jesus of every race, ethnicity, background, sexual orientation, like uh, the Jesus, like just come to Jesus. You know, I want that. I am sobered by the reality that like it will be a remnant mm. of people. Mm. That's what Jesus says. And there are people who weep over Babylon in Revelation 18. And I think that many of those people will be Christian, will be quote unquote Christians. And that's the group of people that Jesus says in Luke 13, like depart from me, I never knew you. Mm. And that is really, really difficult for me as someone who desperately wants to follow Jesus to talk to people who think they're that they're following Jesus, but yet when we talk about sin, say, "Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that." That's what we're talking about. We're talking about sin, right? Like you're calling out racism, you're calling out syncretism, you're calling out nationalism, you're calling out prejudice, and they're saying, "No, it's not me." That's resistance to confession, which is like sin, mm. right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, um, and yeah. that that's that's a hard, it's a hard place yeah. for me, you know. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's getting late, so I'm going to ask this last question. Um, and I can't remember if I asked it when I had you, Sai, and Susie on or not, but I'm going to ask it again. I'm a, I've asked everybody this year, so I'm going to have 52 people answering the same question in a massive supercut, and it's going to be an editing nightmare. But that's okay, because I'm off for two weeks before the end of the year, and so we're going to make it happen. <laughs> so the most tracks I've ever had in an episode, I think, was 47. Um, that one will have at least 52. Um, that prayer one was amazing. The... Easter? Easter? Oh, that was oh, fun man. to do. It was a lot I of work. Was, like crying. Yeah, that was it a lot was so of work. Good. It was amazing how all of them came. Like literally, and I randomly dropped them in. Like I literally put them in whatever the file name was is what the file name was. Because I did it like in a 48-hour turnaround time. Like mm -hmm. I didn't have time to make it all pretty. And I just dropped it in and let the editing software go, oh, it alphabetized them or put them in by numerical. And then I just dragged them in order. Like just space, 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 you know, to to move out mm -hmm. this the vote and it just flowed all by itself. And I was like, Yes, Jesus, let's just hit hit record hit, let's just hit export and be done with it. Yeah. So Jonathan, when you say this is what God is, like I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to tell you what God is. What do you say? First I would be like who God is, like who he is. He is Rose of Sharon, Lion of Judah, Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, like the bright and morning star. Like he is in all, through all, and with all. Like he is closer than breath. He is everything that I long for, but beyond what I could ask, hope, and imagine, like he is healer, deliverer, like sovereign king. Like he is close and far away, intimate and distant, high on, like high and lifted up, yet um, right beside me at the same time. Like he is all that I will ever need, ever want, ever hope for, ever dream of. Um, and who I want to be with forever on this side of heaven and the next. He is praiseworthy, trustworthy, always good, always just, always loving, always beautiful. He is. Man. Like. 
psalm says, like he is uh, the hope of glory. Uh, uh, there's... Oh, man. He he is ah. Uh, The one who is here and the one uh, he is the one who is here and the one who is coming. And uh, Yeah, he is he is who I am waiting for and who I, I have. Uh, yeah, he is he is all of it. Mm. Uh, and when uh, he says to Moses I am I would I would say you are um in response. Mm. So yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to make you cry. No worries, no worries. Mm. Um, mm. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That question has become my favorite part of every <coughs> single episode. Man, you do a lot of things. People, people ask that. Where do they go? Like, where do you want them to? Like, because you're you're uh, all over the place. Like, literally. Um, here, here's what I would say. I, I desperately want people to be discipled, and I don't know how that happens in the world of COVID and downstream of all the stuff that we that we we're talking about. Um, but like, people should go. Because I, I think, you know, things are just going to be crazy. And they are crazy. Um, but, like, EmotionallyHealthyActivist.com. And, you know, you can buy books. Like, read, get books, do that. That stuff's great. But, like, the Emotionally Healthy Activist course that we wrote, like, just do some of them. Mm. Just do some of the work, the inner work, the things that we look at are pride, narcissism, and hurry um, that undercuts any type of resistance that we have to the culture of the enemy that is to steal, kill, and destroy. And I think it's the best, the best offering that I have worked on in the past five years. I love 12 lies. I love keeping the faith, but that's information. That's content. Um, the emotional healthy activist course, emotional activist.com. Like you click on it. The daily arrow is a devotional podcast. There's 30 days, um, leading up to the election and then some discipleship devotional stuff. And I, I just, if anything, just people to just see and meet the risen Jesus for themselves. And yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be great. Yeah. Thank you for what you're doing and for being yeah. here for tonight. I know how late it is. So I appreciate no you, man. Very much so. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad you asked me that question. I haven't, I haven't been in a worshipful place. And that was... That was good. So I, I appreciate it.
I was broken open as I listened to Jonathan describe God. Like it's, it's moving and he's right. We've had so much crap this year. And um, watching that outpouring of love was a privilege, both to see, to hear, to edit, and to present to you. I want to thank Heath McNeese for his music in this episode, and I want to thank each of you for listening. Remember, if you want anything in the store, don't forget the discount code. The season is going to be quickly slipping by us, but let's remember to hold each other, to see each other, Stop arguing with one another. This week's a big holiday, and a lot of us are doing it differently just to try to be safe, and many of us are doing it as normal. Hold one another. Remember that your family, that we're all one, and that we actually can love one another if we can just stop arguing. I did want to take a quick moment and thank the newest patron of the show, Christina Hahn. Welcome to the community. Be like Christina. Consider supporting the show. You know where to go. I pray that you're blessed, that you have a wonderful holiday season, and I'll talk with you next week. Good luck.